Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The town of Childers is about 300 kilometers north of Brisbane in the sunny state of Queensland. Set on the National Highway, it's a beautiful place. The streets are wide, they're clean, and they're lined with century-old leopard trees which throw shade over the footpaths. The soil is rich and red, fertile for cane farms as far as you can see. There's a pub on plenty of corners, and I can tell you as a man who spent years trying to find Australia's best bakeries, Childers has a few genuine contenders for the crown. Its centrepiece was the Palace Backpackers Hostel, a nearly century-old building rebuilt after the Great Fire of 1902, which took out a large part of the main street. It was the most substantial building, in my opinion, of, of all those heritage buildings. I mean, ironically, why it was in such good shape is it was rebuilt after the previous fire. So in 1902, I think it was, it was rebuilt. And it had been the premier hotel in, in Childers for all those years. It had been the place where, you know, travelling salesmen would stay and and I think at one stage it had, a, it might have even had a ballroom attached to it. So it had been a pretty significant building to a lot of people for a long time when it was a hotel. There are a couple of theories on how Childers got its name. Some believe it was named after a village in Oxfordshire in England. And there might be something in that. There's an Isis River there too. But the more common assumption is it was named after a bloke named Hugh Childers, a British statesman who served as the Auditor General of Victoria during the 1850s. By 1860, he was back in England and was elected to Parliament, where he grew a reputation as a shrewd numbers man, charged with cutting costs. He started with the Navy, then he made big savings when it came to Britain's weapons expenditure. A risky move, you might say, during a time of war, but his frugalness would eventually prove his and the government's undoing when he tried to increase, of all things, taxes on income and alcohol. Yep, bad move, and you guessed it. Britain wanted none of that. They swiftly voted them out of power. They were gone within weeks, punting the Cabinet and the Prime Minister, William Gladstone. Now, given there's a town named after him just a few hours up the road, that might add weight to Hugh Childers' claim on naming rights. I mention this because Gladstone is where I grew up. Then, when it came time to join the workforce, I landed in Bundaberg. I started writing sport at the local paper... After two years, I switched to television. Channel 7, local news. Across the wide Bay Burnett, this is 7 News with Rob Bruff. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. Childers was part of my patch, and on the fifth day of my fifth week in the job, it would become home to the biggest story of my career. My name is Paul Cochran, and this is Childers. So I wake up hearing what sounds like somebody setting fireworks off 
right outside the bedroom. And I could feel the building shuddering, shaking, and I was thinking, maybe it's an earthquake. What woke me up was the sound of breaking glass. I heard people yelling already, and uh, I heard, like, glass exploding or breaking. And then I thought it was, like, a fight going on or something. I just woke up to the sound of glass breaking and some weird popping noises. And I thought someone, I don't know, was trashing the place downstairs. I remember sort of waking up and just thinking, you know, it's going to stop on it. Anyway, basically it didn't, it continued and got more frequent. I saw this red glare and he started yelling, fire, fire, fire. She flicked the light on and the light lasted for not even a second or two seconds and all you could see was this thick black smoke coming in and you could feel the fire was directly underneath us, the floorboards were roasting hot. And then opens the door <laughs> to the room, slams it again and just says, fuck, fuck, fuck. And it's like the panic and the fear and the instant kind of, her reaction is what got me out of bed. No smoke alarms? Uh, not that I can recall was, was going off, no. No illuminated exit signs to follow? No. I just thought it was a bit odd that there was no alarms or anything. I thought, oh, it can't be that bad. You know, there's no alarms. Just take a moment to consider that. It's pitch black. The electricity has been cut. Flames are pouring out of the windows. The floor is searing hot. The fire has started on the ground level and it's climbing at a rapid rate. So they're essentially standing on a hot plate that is crumbling under the intensity of that heat. As the seconds tick by, the smoke is thick, unbearably so, and it's a toxic mixture of all sorts of timbers and synthetics and plastics and whatever's in that fire's path. Now the residents that night were in a foreign building. They don't know the layout. So there's panic, mass panic escalated by the crashing sounds of breaking glass and desperate screams from their mates all going through the same terrifying ordeal. They've been blinded, they can't breathe, there's no alarms to wake them and no exit signs to guide them out. Split second decisions, a choice between right or left is about to determine their fate. When you don't know where you're going and it's hot and it's pitch black and it's you, know, you can feel the heat and, and almost see fire and, and flames elsewhere, uh, it felt like an eternity, you know, to get out. It was just after midnight when the first of several triple O calls are made from a public telephone box directly across the road. A few streets away, Cole Santa Catarina is fast asleep when his pager beeps. The alarm went off, yeah, it was just after midnight and I was in bed and uh, yeah, it just comes through as a page, you know, we pages. Born and raised in Childers, he'd been in the fire service for 21 years, rising through the ranks to be the local officer in charge. Everyone knew him as Curl, an ironic nickname given to him by the neighbours when he was just four years old because of his short haircuts. The name stuck. I went past the backpackers through the main street and I didn't even see it because it was that foggy. I couldn't see two foot in front of I saw people there, but I didn't even know what time it was. I just heard me page go, so I just took off. And I thought they were getting ready to go to work. And 
that, but oh yeah, yeah, then when we got to the station, they said, oh, there's a fire at the backpackers. Yeah, it's usually oh, just a little fire until <laughs> we got there and yeah, she was going. This was unusual for Childers. The front line was in good hands, but in a small town flanked by the high-speed national highway, actually fighting fires had become a bit of a rarity around these parts. It's certainly a big thing for us guys. We don't do a lot of, or well, at that stage, didn't do a lot of um, what they call structural fires. We might do three, four or five a year, if that. Um, most of our stuff is road accident rescue, which is also confronting. We do upwards of four or 500 road accident rescues a year. Um, so it's, it's, it's something we train for. That's Hayden Whitaker, a big, burly athletic type, well over six foot tall with shoulders as broad as the town itself. He had a mobile mechanical business and did some odd jobs on the side at the Palace Backpackers Hostel. So he knew the building pretty well. Yeah, it was an old school building. Um, of course, it was three buildings constructed over different periods of time. The front building, the original Backpackers, which still stands now, was an original Queensland pub, two-storey, rooms across the top, all the usual layout. But the other two buildings at the back were um, double-storey, uh, besser block type buildings that were offset with the hallway between the front building and the side buildings all had like a T-shaped hallway between them or an, or an area opening, but a common tin roof over the whole three. So, yeah, it was a, a mixed match of – and in, in, the, in those rooms, in, in the um, accommodation rooms, almost all pine bunk beds, foam mattresses, double and triple bunk beds – yeah, quite ability to house quite a lot of people. Yeah, and highly flammable. Oh, very flammable, yeah. The front building being timber and very old, yes, and the um, nature of the furniture, yeah, it was just yeah, pine and foam. Perfect storm for a, a oh, fire yeah. of that nature, Maybe I guess. Fire, yes. But his main job, well, together with Richard Randall and Bob Winkleman, he was part of Curl's four-man crew. His wife, Shelley, was one of the local ambulance officers and she was just weeks away from giving birth to their first child, so she wasn't working, but she still had her pager, and when it beeped, and Hayden's followed soon after, they knew the town had a major problem on its hands. I'm pretty sure Curl, my captain, and myself set the truck up. Curl was assisting them guys, and I was rolling out hoses and bowling bits and pieces out to connect to the fire appliance, and that's how we got out setting up, and during that period of time was when, um, whilst connecting a hose onto the back of the truck, it went from the dark of night to the brightness of day. Um, the smoke was billowing out of the out of the front of the building like an upside down waterfall. Went from smoke to flames, um, and it went from night to day to daytime. The brightness. And we had our appliance out on the main the main street, on the main drag drag there, the Bruce Highway, and melted the lights on it. It was a brand new truck, only a week old, and melted the lights and. All the plastic covers on the seats just all stuck to it, so it was hot, yeah. It was brand spanky, smelly new, and when that flare-up of the fire started and come out through the front of the front building, it wouldn't have took me half a minute to drive, to jump in the fire appliance and drive it out into the diagonal car park as if you were parked in the normal parking. And in that short period of time, it melted the left-hand beacon off the truck, it melted the passenger seat smooth, the vinyl seat, and it popped that. The old Nokia phone screen popped off and shrunk up like a shrinky. Yeah, yeah so it was very really warm, very quick. The heat is extraordinary. Much, very much so. We arrived and yeah, everybody's running, trying to get out. And uh, yeah, she's well involved. And there was people up on the butcher's roof next to it. First thing is life. So we just, Bob Winkerman and I, Don BA, 
Richard Randall got uh, Hayden to get up on the roof and get the people down, but he couldn't put the ladder up by himself, so I gave him a hand, put the ladder up and got him down, and Bob and I, we went in and with a charge line into the backpackers down the bottom, and uh, yeah, trying to get people out. People still sort of didn't know what to do, so we pushed them out the front door, just go, 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 fill the hose, put a charge line in there. Bob, Bob had the charge line, and I just, just follow the hose, follow the hose. How many people do you think you got down off that road? Oh, myself, you know, upwards in the vicinity of about 25, 26. Wow. Um, I know the first lady I'll go down, and I know the last boat to come down. Actually, the last bloke, I've seen him a few times since then, a big, tall, dark-headed fellow, thin-set bloke. Yeah, don't ask me his name, but yeah. Were they no saying space. anything? Not that I remember. Um, I, I think the small things you remember about, I remember about raising the big fellow because he was laid back on the roof with one arm on both of the power wires running out to the power pole like, like a hammock. And I raised him and said, you're the last to get down, you can look after everyone else, and then you jump down, you go down the ladder, because I straight away took off to keep going, fighting the fire. And it's fair to say for Curl and his crew, that's when the magnitude of things really started to take shape. They'd already rescued more than 40 backpackers, but up until this point, they'd been dealing with what they could see in front of them. They had no idea what they would confront as they moved further into the burning wreck. Once we'd got the people off the roofs, I got a hammer and cracked open the front door of the building to gain access. And when we opened the front door of the backpackers and looked in, it was just red hot coals up the stairs, through the floor and around, so there was no actual entry of the building at that stage. Whoever was in there was, was in there. Yeah, so there was no, there was no, I'm gonna go in there and save anyone sort of thing. It was, it was then become, put, put the structure out and stop it getting to other structures up and down the street. And then we were in there, starting to put it out, and Richard Randall told us to get out, because you know, there's gonna be a bloody backdraft's gonna come, you know. And that's when oxygen hits the fire, you know, and it just, just explodes. So we were down the bottom and and we had to get out and then the next minute something bloody just something just sort of behind us sort of pushed us out and uh, the the floor had collapsed and the, and the body fell down behind us. It's hard to forget incidents like that, no matter what line of work you're in, no matter how much training you've had, no matter how much counselling you provided afterwards. At that moment, Curl and his crew knew this was so much more than just a building fire. With, with the design and layout of that building, it was as simple as those who turned one way survived and those who turned the other way didn't. There were some who simply had no chance Days after the fire, my cameraman and I were walked through the burnt-out building. It was tough to see. The scale of the wreckage was nothing like I'd ever seen before or indeed since. What couldn't be missed were the metal bars on the windows, supposedly installed to increase security. So they were trapped and there was only one window uh, that they could get out of, so they were trapped. I still struggle to come to terms with knowing that that's where a number of the victims tried to escape. And the, and the fact is, they just couldn't. Their exit point was blocked. One room in particular was probably the worst of um, half past two in the morning sort of thing, when the fire had damped down. Most, most whoever was on scene was on scene and they were still sort of missing eight or nine people. And no one knowing the layout of the building fairly well, I knew where there was a room that was built 
between two of the buildings, so to speak, on the second story. So myself and another one of our newer fireys um, went up onto the veranda with the, with the ladder and run the ladder out across the burnout floor of the of the top story, so that I could access the middle hallway and look over the, what was left of the boards because the boards only come up to about waist height, belly button height, sort of thing. Um, and I could see into the room then that I could do a head count of the people that were missing. Some that had passed away in their sleep and others not so fortunate. So you did a head count of basically dead bodies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, need, they need to be located, so yeah. That yeah. must have been incredibly confronting. Oh, no, 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 yeah, well, no, um, and also that's, I've, I've done a few wild careers in my time. Yeah, so. They just had no chance, did they? Several of those people passed away in their sleep. Um, would have never realised that they actually got burned in a fire. Um, as I said, others not so lucky because of the barred windows and bits and pieces and the fact that that room, if they would have turned right and headed along the veranda, they would have been on the roof with the other guys, more than likely. Um, but they turned left and went into that room and that room was, had barred windows and that was that. Mm. It was a room, not much difference in size to what we're sitting in now. Mm. I mean, picture bunk beds there, bunk beds there, hallway there, barred window there, onto the roof next door and mm. safety. And so one particular gentleman was on the bar work trying to get out, but there's no, no, that wasn't going to happen. So. The attempts that those people would have made to get out, but were prevented because of the bars on the window. I think that's something that sticks with me is just what those people would have been going through. Rob Campbell was the detective sergeant with the Queensland Police Arson Squad. Trying to escape and then, then the other one is trying to survive. But, you know, from all of the scientific and forensic aspects and medical aspects, it would have been pretty quick for them because of the toxicity of the smoke and the heat would have um, just overwhelmed them very quickly. Yeah, because we knew, you know, at that stage there was, whoever was in there, you know, they weren't going to be alive. It took several hours to contain the fire and damp down the charred remains. Incredibly, some areas downstairs were completely spared. Upstairs was all gone. They just said yourself, you've been upstairs. You can appreciate looking across the top floor was just a tin roof all screwed together with like a melted dripping cheese and nothing supporting it between those three buildings because from everything from about knee height to waist height was gone and just burned off. Whereas downstairs, when I cracked open the office, at the end of the fire, the next day, the tropical fish in the tank was still alive. That's covered in about a three-inch layer of black ash. It's those characteristics which would ultimately help frame the investigation, an investigation that by daylight was firming as arson and multiple murder charges. From there is discussing with the forensic experts, well, what's the scene telling us about this fire? What's the scene telling us about the cause and origin? So that we can assist them to gather evidence about movement, about timings, about what people saw and what people did, all their observations in statements. So there's a constant period of time over the first couple of days where we were discussing in the incident room about these things, about what's important for us to narrow down on the investigation so that we can build a case. Curl and his crew headed back to the station in time for breakfast, just as the 69 survivors were coming to terms with the realisation that 15 of their friends didn't make it out. In their own stories of miraculous escape, you'll hear from them in coming episodes. Now, the best way to ensure you don't miss out is to subscribe to this podcast 
And please help honour the memory of the victims of this tragic fire 20 years ago by telling your friends and loved ones to tune in. This podcast is written by me, Paul Cochran, with support from the Bundaberg Regional Council. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.